Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And just like the lovely announcer said, I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Our guest today is Annie O'Connor. She's a physical therapist, and she has co-authored a recent book called A World of Hurt, A Guide to Classifying Pain. She's also written a recent journal article in the JMMT Journal, Validation of a Pain Mechanism Classification System in Physical Therapy Practice. Oh, my God, a chiropractic podcast, and we have a physical therapist on. Ew. Except that both worlds collide in our topic today. Um, both of our publications offer a research Supported curative paradigm shift in managing musculoskeletal pain, promoting effective and efficient outcomes with significant cost savings. Uh, she lectures naturally, nationally and internationally on musculoskeletal pain classification and intervention, neurodynamic evaluation and treatment, mechanical diagnosis and therapy of spine and extremities, code word, McKinsey method, everybody, kinetic chain evaluation and functional manual therapy and exercise prescription. She was instrumental in establishing the Allied Health's clinical diagnostic approach for musculoskeletal pain at RIC. She's a member of the American Physical Therapy Association in the orthopedic section and canine special interest group. She's a member of the North American Spine Society, and that's nothing to scoff at, my friends. If you look at what it takes to become a member of the North American Spine Society, that's no joke. And she's a member of the McKinsey Institute. Uh, she serves on the 10 times 25 Tactile Coalition Task Force to reduce spine-related disability by 10% in the year 2025, which is sponsored by the National, the North American Spine Society Foundation. She continues to treat orthopedic, neurological patients, and canines with musculoskeletal dysfunction and disorders. So that's our bio on Annie O'Connor. Obviously, today uh, we are going to be talking about pain. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a subject that's near and dear to all of our hearts, whether you're a PT or a Cairo or any sort of healthcare related, uh, provider, because that's why a lot of people come to see us as pain. Now I know in the chiropractic world, there are some chiropractors that, that feel treating pain and I'm making air quotes there. Treating pain is uh, beneath them, that it's uh, limiting their practice because they feel pain is just a symptom and you have to get beyond symptoms. Now, yeah, we can all come to an agreement. And that is probably something we should do in this profession is where can we agree on things? And we can agree that it doesn't just stop at pain. Uh, but I disagree that pain is an air quote, just a symptom. I think pain is a multimodal, multi, multifactorial uh, consequence or circumstance that human beings and obviously in uh, Annie O'Connor's circumstance as well, animals go through that isn't just a symptom, but a biopsychosocial phenomenon that uh, has, has 
huge implications in people's lives and their function and their disability. Um, I, I kind of sort of get it when those chiropractors are like, I don't want to just treat pain, which if they're using that as the definition of, you know, I don't want to just shut off people's pain symptoms and then move them along. I don't want to be the, the replacement for a pill. I think 99% of us are completely down with that. But I also don't think that some of these chiropractors mean it like that. I'm, I think a lot of them mean it like, I don't want to be limited to just pain management approaches. I want to hold out the idea for the magical anything. The, the, I want to be able to hold out the idea that chiropractic can help with anything and everything. Uh, Ebola, hepatitis, <laughs> um, uh, lazy eye, uh, you know, your tree is getting a little bit too brown in your backyard in the fall before the rest of the trees, maybe a little chiropractic can help with that. You know, I think there's some chiropractors that when they use that phrasing, I don't, I, pain is too limiting. That's such a limited scope of practice. I think that's what they, what a lot of them mean. They want to hold out, hold out for the unicorns out there. And uh, without, of course, you know, putting the work in to prove that they actually have a, a, a substantial effect on those unicorns. Um, but pain is not limiting and it's not a limiting practice because if we have to admit the pain is the main reason why most people will come to see us in practice for most of our lives. And even the people who say they don't quote unquote treat pain, you look at their websites and what are they marketing on their websites? All kinds of pain stuff, right? Um, so we're going to get into pain in this podcast. We're going to get into the deeper, uh, ideas around pain and pain classification because not all pain is the same and if you can classify or you can find or or sort of deduce the source of the person's pain whether it's mechanical uh, whether it is uh, psychosocial whether it's being magnified or catastrophized, if you can quantify all these things about a person's pain it puts you so far ahead in helping them get past just the pain, but what the pain is creating as far as dysfunction or disability in their lives. So pain is, even if you don't want to make it important, uh, my little spiel here in the beginning is that pain is important. And there are even some chiropractors out there who, who advocate, and I do not approve of this at all, they advocate ignoring a person's pain altogether, like not discussing it, kind of downplaying it, like uh, we don't discuss pain in our practice, those sort of things. That's, that's straight up trash, everybody. That's trash. Um, and I don't have a better word for it. That's a, a ploy. It's a, it's a, a framing, you know, it's trying to frame the conversation within your practice. Uh, and, and these people are framing the conversation, the practice to one of quote unquote wellness, or uh, don't focus on the pain, just keep coming in basically. And, you know, I don't speak for everybody in the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance, but I did make the thing. And I will tell you straight from my horse's mouth that the FTCA does not stand for that at all. Um, we, we have to be patient centered and acknowledge what they're coming to us with and acknowledge their main concerns, whether it's in education or in uh, therapeutic intervention, but it's not in ignoring something and then, and then focusing on what the doctor wants to accomplish. Uh, so that's my little soapbox there. This podcast is brought to you. Hey, ironically, it's brought to you by pain zone and pain zones, a nice little analgesic. It helps people with those pains, you know, 
uh, pain is not just a symptom, even though pain is a symptom, uh, it's not just a symptom. It's, it is a thing that affects somebody completely, but why not knock down a little bit of the symptom while you're at it and pain zone gets that done. You can check out some samples at ipainzone.com while we're talking about more symptoms of pain. Why don't we talk about our sponsors, Miracle Wave, uh, uh, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave, uh, where uh, extracorporeal shockwave therapy can help with a lot of, of symptoms of tendinopathies and other musculoskeletal disorders uh, because somebody will come up to you with pain in those areas and you want a solution for fixing it. So check out uh, Miracle Wave. Other sponsors, the American Chiropractic Association. Uh, I want to thank the ACA and our uh, additional other very important sponsor, Parker Seminars. Uh, obviously, they've put a lot of trust in me to put out information and content that is quality, um, to not go too far off the rails in my opinions and keep it somewhat professional while at the same time entertaining. Uh, and I appreciate them. They haven't, uh, they haven't told me I've gone too far yet, and I don't think I have. Um, and we've kept the cussing to a minimum and all that other stuff. So uh, I appreciate that the American Chiropractic Association supports um, the FTCA podcast and our ability to put, put on these great interviews uh, and give them to you uh, to download. And uh, Parker University's seminars parker seminars uh, they've got a new parker seminars in dallas in october i highly recommend you check that out and if you're in the area be sure to attend that one but it would go uh sadly without saying it would go without uh i would be i would be derelict in my duties if i did not mention uh forward 2019 and the forward uh annual convention, which is going to feature Annie O'Connor, as well as another physical therapist, Gray Cook, and then some great chiropractic uh, leaders and researchers, Dr. Greg Kodchuk, Dr. Christine Gertz, who was just on the podcast, and many, many others. You can check out all, all the list of speakers at uh, forwardthinkingchiro.com. Uh, this event is in September, the end of September, and you don't want to miss it. Some great continuing education. We've got a job fair, job expo for those looking to hire and those looking for a job or a postceptorship or a preceptorship, associateship, space to rent. Yes, there are people who will be there offering those positions. And yes, there will be there people looking for those positions. And it's free to all the attendees of Forward 2019 who want to participate. You just have to buy a ticket online and it'll give you a nice little form to fill out in order for you to participate. Uh, you can check out all that information at Forward 2019. At the end of this podcast, there's going to be a code. Uh, at the pain zone finish, dun, 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 I'm going to give you a code. Uh, that'll take uh, $25 off the admission price to forward 2019 if you don't have your ticket yet. And uh, if you go to the website and you click on the link, it gives you all the information for hotels and continuing education and, uh, and the schedule and the events that are taking place and all that. So uh, definitely check that out. And I would love to see you there. It's going to be a great event. Last year was uh, the bee's knees. It was very, very good, very highly talked about and recommended by the people who went there uh, and sold out. So uh, we want you to be sure you get your tickets to this one so you don't suffer the same fate. Nonetheless, let's get on with our interview with Annie O'Connor, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a good one. Take care.
All right. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And we are going to be discussing pain, pain today with, uh, see, I almost said Dr. Annie O'Connor, because that's what we do as chiropractors. <laughs> Annie is, everyone, it's like a, a, that movie Fletch, everybody's doctor, 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 hello, doctor, doctor, doctor. Um, it's just something that we're all caught up with. But uh, Annie O'Connor, PT, OCS certified in the McKinsey, the, is it the McKinsey method you're certified in, MDT? I am certified in the McKenzie Method as well as uh, an orthopedic clinical specialist board certified by the American Physical Therapy Association. So I have these dual certifications. This is kind of how this podcast go. I, I love to play the layman um, to, to bring it down to a level. But in this case, I am not going to be playing at all. I, I genuflect in your general direction because you are the <laughs> boss. Um, well, I'll, I'll do my best to lead this. Yeah especially in this conversation of pain, um, you're going to tell me. Uh, but let's, before we do any of that stuff, take me back. Take me back to young Annie. When young Annie decided that being a physical therapist was right for her, uh, how did that come about? Well, that's... Uh, Your origin when I was story. <clears throat> exactly. When I was, let me clear my throat on that one. It was, uh, I was 17 years old and I uh, tore up my knee making an unassisted double play from second to first, being a ball hog like I was raised to be, and saw a life-changing situation happen and a scholarship fly away and realized that at that point, you know, in those early 80s when they did ACL, MCL, LCL, medial meniscus re recuperations and surgeries it was um long leg casts crutches yeah. months and months of rehab and i'll never forget because even though i secured my swimming scholarship on one leg at the state meet uh, <laughs> my softball scholarship was up for grabs and my parents being the number one of five were very clear to me in saying sister you are not going to school to play sports so you better find a career and conveniently, I was going through rehab and these therapists were in sweatsuits and they were working with top athletes because I had to go to the sports program. And I was like, well, now there is not. And I kept asking, like, what do you do? You're a physical therapist. Oh, that's interesting. And I, and I kept observing how much fun this looked like. And, that, and I was really intrigued with the whole idea that sweats could be my possible uniform of the future went home that day and said, hey, mom, I want to be a physical therapist. And they're ecstatic, you know, because my dad's like, if you can't be something, you're going to be an electrician. I'm like, my God, I got to figure out something. <laughs> and so from that day on, I kind of explored what this meant. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to secure these scholarships, went to St. Louis University, became a physical therapist, entered the field, and realized I really do not know how to help anyone. And at that point, I was on a real fast track to figuring out the cure, the cure to pain, the cure to disability. And that was followed by master's programs, certifications, continuing ed, trying to leave the profession, I don't know how many times, thinking about chiropractic school, thinking about osteopathic school, insert residency programs in search of 
how do we deal with this problem called pain and this idea behind disability? And it wasn't until I saw David Butler speak in 95 and the pain mechanism approach was thrown out there on a whim, him and Louis Gifford put together that classification system. And I had an aha moment that this isn't about where you hurt. This is about why you hurt. Perfect. And from that, that time on, it's been an incredible 35 year, just passionate career of really understanding different ways of helping people through these, these situations called pain and these circumstances called disability. You know, the irony is uh, when I was in the military, um, I played on a traveling basketball team. They have sort of each branch of the military has its own traveling team and suffered an injury and went to physical therapy and <laughs> saw the physical therapist doing their work uh, on my lower extremity, on my, my toe, my big toe. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I could see myself doing this. Uh, and the, the, my PT at the time said, you don't want to do this, my friend. You want to be a chiropractor. They've got it made. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like who you fall in, whose hands you oh, fall yeah. into though. Like, could you ever pick to fall into David Butler's hands? You know, it, it depends. And um, it seems like yeah. all of us, whether you're PT, DC, ATC or whatever, um, if you're a searcher or a seeker, uh, you, you question that because you're always on the seek, right? And it's like, did yeah. I choose the right profession to help me with my search or is it, the, it's not, but now we're getting to this element in our in the professions that we serve that that uh, it doesn't matter what profession it is. I think we're all starting to get to the same sort of headwater, the same crossroads, and that crossroads is understanding uh, the pain. So this is a great well, conversation to have. It, it is a great conversation to have, and I agree because we as providers, regardless of the discipline we have our foundational training in, you know, we all get trained in anatomy and we all get trained in pathology and that we have to. I mean, we're dealing with the human system. But when you start to enter into that life of service, then there's the concept behind, well, you're not really treating the injury anymore. You're in the recovery. Hmm. Right. You're not really about the pathology anymore. You may be about the mechanism. This may not be the local anatomy. This may be global coming from the nervous system and or possibly the brain. And when you start to, as a provider, you have to like, as you sit with that person in front of you and you understand how this has impacted their life and the things that are going on, you have to say to yourself, wow, should I be classifying them with an anatomical approach? Is that appropriate relative to the data that I'm getting? Or, hey, should I be classifying them from a pathology classification system or no based on the data that i'm getting i should be considering a mechanism classification system and it, it so it's not to say these classification systems were ever meant to conflict or or one be better than the other it's as a provider the more we know the better we serve and we have to look at every n of one data and really make a that kind of judgment. And, and so I think that's really important, you know, because we don't, we're not trained, at least at the time I went through my training, and some of it is changing, though, we're not trained in a mechanism thinking within our foundational knowledge. It's something we're seeing happen postgraduate. 
Well, from the chiropractic perspective, uh, if we took, if you were, instead of PT, if you went to chiropractic school and you graduated in the late 80s, early 90s, Mm. you're probably still learning uh, basically manipulation skills, uh, you know, your assessment, diagnosis, maybe some of the rudimentary passive physiotherapies, and that was it. Totally. And then I would say like the late 80s, maybe mid-90s, early 2000s, chiropractors were learning to add um, hands-on skills like soft tissue therapies and maybe a little tiny, tiny bit of neurodynamics, not a lot. And you had to be pretty advanced to get that far along. So this is like, uh, yeah, um, you know, what 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 do we do when... The evidence is at one level, but we have to practice, and we're, we're obviously practicing at a different level than the evidence. Yeah, I mean, I you know, being awarded the opportunity to do a couple publications, every publication we did took us about eight years. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it yeah, easier so to publish a book, or is it e- easier to publish it, a research article? The, the, the book took us eight years to write. Okay. I, 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 so I, I'm in this mindset that, you know, look, it just takes about eight years. Now, I can't say that for these high-powered PhD programs, et cetera, but if you're a clinician working in a hospital care and you're doing practice-based evidence, you yeah. know, you're looking at an average of, of, you know, six to eight years to publication. So conceptualize this. What we're reading in our scientific journals was clinicians doing something innovative with every patient they were seeing eight years ago. Yeah. So you clinically are doing things that you'll probably read about 10 years from now. Yeah, and that, the- that's, an impo- that's a very important thing that we can't, because you, you may not get front stage at a conference to talk about what you're doing in the clinic because you don't have a publication. And, and we have to understand that. I mean, you know, some of our curriculums could be average some 10 to 30, some estimate 30 years behind what we're currently doing in practice. So there is, there is this mindset that you, you want to value all of it. You want to value your foundation. You want to value what you're reading in the current scientific journals, and you want to value every experience you have with a person because that's where the innovation is. You have to have a bunch of N of ones to get to an N of whatever for a journal publication. Sure. Yeah, I'm always reticent just from my professional viewpoint. I mean, obviously, that is something I completely support, but I'm always reticent to completely advocate for it out loud. Because just from my professional viewpoint, some people will start n n equals one uh, unusual things. If you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, like the, the crystals and the footpaths <laughs> and the whatever, whatever you want to go. You know, like the, well, and the upper cervical manipulation for Ebola and and things like that. <laughs> you know, it's like so. I always have to be very hesitant when I say, but that is the way you have to do it. Is is you have to be in it. You have to respect Sackett's approach. You yeah. got to do these three levels, these three aspects of evidence-based care, and you have to respect all three of them equally or as equally as you can. Um, 
But at the same time, and this question comes up in our group all the time, like, well, from the evidence, if we're truly evidence-based and really all we should be doing is prescribing exercise and doing joint manipulation, because that's all the evidence supports for the low back. And it's like, well, <laughs> come on, man. Like, you know, this is a great, these are great professions to be in because you, you are allowed within reason to be quite innovative. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that evidence of should you know, should we manipulate? Yeah, there, I mean, you've got, if you've got literally an inflammatory mechanism that has a mechanical element, which means it has a preferred direction, and you got to get that person to end range, and you are a skilled provider that can do a manipulation to get him to end range, and then follow that up with an end range exercise, because the goal is to abolish the symptoms because that's the mechanism we're dealing with. My God, please take your hands and do that skill set. I wish I had that kind of skill set. Here's but why now, I, you know, no, you know, but I'm, I'm dealing with a central sensitivity patient yes. whose fear avoidant is so fearful of bending forward. Now we know it's a centrally mediated situation. We know the yellow flag screens high, the fear avoidance, behavior domain is high. Even if my hands provide a level of safe context, which it would, especially if my therapeutic alliance was there, and I can have an effect on the descending inhibitory system relative to that safe context presentation, my duty at that point to the patient is to allow them to understand that really what I did with my hands was not mobilize a segment, but to provide to your brain how safe movement really is. And boy, man, do we got to get that right. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, because if that's we, the, where we we're at. Manual, yeah, if we're going to do manual medicine and central sensitivity, and we're going to sell that as a motion segment issue, you know that that's going to blow up in dependency on you. And or depending on how you ended that session, that person's calling you back with a latency response and saying, you hurt me. <laughs> I feel worse. Yeah, you hurt me. You know, and, and so that's, that's the art of saying, okay, I understand the dominating mechanism today because it's a, it's a dedication to reassessment. That's all that is. And based on that, I understand what should be the education. And if I so choose to use my hands as a skilled procedure within that, I better be selling my hands right relative to the, the mechanism, relative to the education. Yeah, I think it's another big question that comes up in, in my group and in our profession, and particularly with the young providers nowadays, is I think they've, get, they've gotten to a level in their education where they start to say, oh, we can now admit that we should not be manipulating everything. We shouldn't adjust everything. <laughs> So, and some, uh, you know, some still haven't got there yet, but we're talking about the ones that have gotten at least there. Okay, so I should not be manipulating everything, or there might be a right time and a wrong time to mm -hmm. perform that procedure. But what's missing is for somebody to tell them or teach them or guide them into the decision-making process of when it might be right and when it might be wrong. Beyond, like red flags. So as, you, yeah. as as we get into the yellow flag uh, checklist and all that, but you know, they know from a red flag perspective when to and when not to. 
but from a yellow flag perspective, when that's the right tool to utilize, I don't think many people, at least on, in the chiropractic profession, have have uh, lined that up yet. And that is one of the reasons why I think your presence at the Forward 19 conference is so integral, because I think you're going to bring that to the table where they can start to see, oh, this is when that is a complete green light to go for an adjustment and manipulation. That is, that's the home run. Knock it out of the park there and add in some, some of the other adjunctive therapies as well. And this is when, as you explained, this is the pain mechanism or classification system where that is not the best tool. Um, and there are other better tools to pull out of the toolkit at the time. Oh, yeah. I, believe me, I am so excited about the Forward Thinking Conference and what you guys are allowing me to do in that lecture to set some stage, but even more importantly, the two-hour workshop where we're really going to get to the practicality of things. I mean, we're, we're bringing the house. People are going to be very excited about it because not only is it going to be based on a couple large publications that we have coming out, one on the yellow flag. I mean, the yellow flag risk form this publication we're coming out for was originated by two chiropractors, Steve Yeoman and Craig Liebenson. And oh, oh, that, oh, geez. Exactly. Craig it, it's, it's floated around practice for over 20 some years and I can't wait till the publication comes out. I mean, the reason why I even gotten involved with this is I've been using it in my practice because that form screens to me the best the presence of yellow flags and not only that it gives me an idea of where the large domains are suffering that guides actually the pain science education that we should be considering so i've always used it as a gps now our hospital came down about eight years ago and said look no validated forms if they're not validated they can't be used so they were like, you're either getting rid of the yellow flag risk form. I know you've been using it for 20 some years or, or I said, or we're validating it. <laughs> so, so get on board, buddy, because this is what we're doing. And so that's where we are now. Eight years fast forward, a six data set validating this form is one of the most powerful tools that you can do for risk stratification, for classification of pain mechanisms. We actually see patterns by the way patients answer the questions and connected to brain physiology within the fMRI that is consistent with the classification that a therapist may give relative to characteristics. That's crazy. And then not only that, it's as robust as all of your high-powered functional tools, ODI, NDI, the gold standards, lower extremity functional scale, DASH. Mm -hmm. So one little questionnaire can cover the entire body functionally, as well as from a pain-related disability suffering. And then the powerhouse on that all is it's as powerful as some of these pain disability forms, the PDI, the pain disability index, the catastrophizing scale. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's as good as a depression scale. So what we came to think, I, I go back to these guys and I'm like, hey, amazing job 25 years ago and i love why they did it when you ask them why the hell did you put this form together they did it because they were tired of how many forms we were using right craig liebenson is probably the greatest aggregator of musculoskeletal knowledge on the planet he is he's a great friend and 
he knows how to collect it all and then assimilate it all and make it make sense. He gave me the opportunity of a lifetime, and I don't even know when it was. It was 10 or 15 plus years ago when he allowed me to be one of the only physical therapists involved in your postgraduate rehab certification out of the Southern Southern California health system. And he goes, I want you to teach about those pain mechanisms. I want you to teach (laughs) the neurodynamics. I want you to teach the kinetic chain. And the beautiful thing is, is what we were teaching at that time really isn't that much different principally of what we're teaching right now. It's just now we've got the research behind it. We've yeah. got the, hey, just do this, though. Don't, don't veer off too far. This is the recipe. This is the script. <laughs> you read, well, read the script with your flair. You know? That's all you got to say is there, there's a script. People, uh, you know, I can only really speak for my profession, but I assume it's the same for PTs, too. Uh, love a script, a playbook. Oh, come you on. Know, give, me the, give me the cookbook, and we can do a lot of good things together, you know? What the world hurt courses, that, that's what I take a lot of time in doing. I mean, we've been doing it at our hospital for over 30 years. I'm like, look, I got 185 clinicians in, you know, nine divisions of care. They all have to make the hamburger the same, Bobby. I mean, like if we can't, you know, if if we're off, it's going to be a disaster. So we have to get to that level of training. It's, hey, you, you're never going to make pain simplistic, but you gotta, you gotta simplify it in order to get a movement. That's true. Oh, and when I, when I, when I referenced how some people were learning some neurodynamics uh, years ago, earlier on in the podcast, that was probably because of Craig Liebenson as well. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was. Craig was all over the place doing everything. You know, I, I mean, he just, he's been a mentor and a friend for a really long time. And, and he, you know, long ago, the two of us just kind of threw off the PTDC title yeah we just threw it off i'm like what what the heck we're in the same wax here let's let's figure out a way to make this work you know and it's it's been just an incredible relationship and he's he's awarded me a lot of opportunities within the chiropractic field and, and it's it's paid off i've got some incredible friends and i've learned so much relative to that you know how does this work how do what does a day look like for you because you are a clinician you, yeah. you see patients. I see, I'm in the clinic 30 plus hours a week. How does <laughs> it's this look? On average, yeah. Because well, if, I, if I walked you through an average chiropractor's day, yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of volume there and they're trying to squeeze as much volume in for what the insurances will pay them. And it's basically like exam, re-exam, adjust. And uh, that's why it's really important that we help you with what to say because you you're not going to be in a circumstance like myself who's got 30 minutes you know with each client you know maybe 45 right you're just not you know and where i can really have that time to maybe to really embrace the, the 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 behavioral changes of the education you know, you're not. So it's really about consistent messaging within those small time frames you have that's going to let you win the game over time. Let's say I've marketed my practice. I'm doing a pretty, I've, I've targeted patients, you know, because most chiropractors in private practice. I've targeted my, pa- you know, more on 
70% or so of the patients that I see, they're going to have a mechanical classification of pains. They're going to respond pretty well to what I'm doing in my office. But then the 30% where we start to see some physiological, uh, some psychological overlay, some of those yellow flags start showing up. My vision would be in, a, in an interdisciplinary manner that, that I knew a good PT or a professional that had that time to be able to refer the remaining of those, of those patients to them. Um, do you ever see a scenario where we can get there together? Oh, well, I, I get referrals from chiropractors all the time. I, I'm not sure why. I mean, we in the state of Illinois can at least have. Well, that's because you're a badass, but I'm talking about yeah. like the average well, Joe's well, on the street, you know? Yeah, well, the average Joe's on the street, what we have to do is we have to form unique partnerships of value. You know, I mean, we're meaning like with some of the chiropractors that I work really closely with, I, I really don't, even though I spent a residency learning manipulative care, I don't do it. So if I've got a stubborn directional preference problem, I'm calling that guy going, hey, one or two visits, can you help me here? This guy's got, you know, he's so stuck. That mm -hmm. This isn't, it's not going to make it happen. And, and they're doing the same back. You know, wow, I got a deeply entrenched motor autonomic pain mechanism that needs sensory motor retraining. Yeah. Help me What's, out here and you see him a couple weeks and let me follow up. And, and that's like where we, we have that first level of trust where one, let's use a common language so that we can understand how the system works. And then two, let's inter-refer. You know, let's become doctors without walls. You, know? you, you got to my next question. What's the common language? Is it uh, it's mechanical diagnosis, MDT? Well, I think MDT is a great classification system when you are dominated by no susception. Okay. For, for them to pick up directional preference, derangement, if you're, if you're in the system, mm -hmm. where that person needs a directional preference approach, you know, whether it's in the extremity or the spine, it's one or two directions. Our goal is to abolish those symptoms. It's a very dominated nociceptive mechanism. And then when they have their dysfunction diagnosis, which is now an ischemic mechanism, and you've got to remodel that tissue, and you have to be very specific with that tissue and load progressive loading, whether it's a tendon, articular uh, tissue, or, or uh, muscular tissue. So we know that dysfunction is an ischemic mechanism, again, very nociceptive, when it's postural, postural, another ischemic mechanism that needs yeah. you to have a function approach. It's when things get into the other. That other is a mirage of a lot of different things from pathologies that require functional approaches to chronic pain where you really have to start to consider subgrouping the central mechanisms because you just can't treat them all like psychology. That's really a disservice to what the suffering that's happening. And they're not even recognizing within the other the possibility of cortical reorganization and the sensory motor, motor autonomic mechanism. So that other, from a McKenzie perspective, if you're a McKenzie provider, you need another classification system that guides you if they fall in that other. But let's agree that, wow, 
powerhouse classification system for nociception. Yes. And that's why we wrote a book that was collaborating the two together. Because we, we knew that, you know, the pain mechanism classification system will, you'll understand inflammation, directional, chemical. You'll understand ischemia, remodel tissue, treat the function with a motor control approach. You'll know quite clearly where manual medicine is needed within those nociceptive mechanisms. But when you start to understand the nerve, the peripheral nerve, and whether it's tight or trapped, you know, and how do you use neurodynamics? And when do you look for entrapment sites outside of a directional preference centralization? Because they do happen, even though, the McKen- even though the McKenzie system may not think they do, they do. And then you can go, okay, that's my peripheral nerve, nervous system, nociception at its best, but it gets me to these silos that allow me to understand, wow, how do I educate? How do I intervene with my skills and my hands? How do I intervene with the moves, the exercise prescription specificity? But let's talk about the whole central nervous system side. You know, now we're the yellow flags may be high and, and a yellow flag risk form helps you screen out, wow, is this the central sensitivity, widespread pain, possible fibromyalgia who's got very fear avoidant behaviors and I need to teach them the traffic light guide, movement safe pain, yeah. and gradually expose them and do what they call is the expectation violation where I really get into that person's expectations of where their harm is going to occur and show them that it doesn't through good analytical understanding of movement safe pain or what some have called the cognitive functional therapeutic approach. Peter O'Sullivan's approach is beautiful there for that mechanism or no, you're somebody on a yellow flag screen. This has nothing to do with fear avoidance. You're dealing with confidence, confidence in your general health. Confidence in your pain control, confidence in self-efficacy that I'll get back to doing things that I want, confidence in my ability to manage this condition where, yeah, don't be teaching them the old traffic-like guide and don't be doing fear-avoidant gradual exposure. These people need you to build their confidence in a motivational interview and approach using important and, and um, confidence scales to try to understand what where they're coming and what they're doing and building their confidence is a completely different intervention in education and getting them back to rewarding life activities. This isn't about fearful activities. This is about building pleasure back in this person's life. Or they're really having issues with emotions, whether they're depression or anxiety. How well are we non-pharmacy target-focused coping by identifying those triggers emotionally and socially that are throwing the brain into a protective mechanism and using somatization to give them pain in all areas of their body. That's different than somebody with a widespread pain, fear avoidant mechanism. And and the ability to quickly screen that using a yellow flag and then to know, okay, relative to that, this is my dominating central mechanism Let's now organize how we're going to teach them about that. Because yeah, it's like a, yeah. To, to say, hey, I love this. This is the most funnest thing for me. 
is the pain science literature, and we're going to do this, we're going to knock this out of the park at the Forward Thinking Conference. The pain science literature is saying clearly, explain the brain's role in pain. Explain yeah. it as the protective mechanism that it really is. And it has three ways to protect you. It can overprotect you. It can divert. Or it can just neglect and forget you. And patients and people deserve to understand that in a normal situation, your brain is going to do this. Now, how do we know which one and what do we do in order to write that protective mechanism so you don't have to suffer? And there's a possibility of having no pain, or we could call this pain treatment, not pain management. But the pain literature is telling us to do that. They're also telling us to explain to people movement-safe pain. Give them the control to say, should I, should I pace? Should I push or should I stop? And not, you know, not make it about a number, make it about motion. Give them a different way of analyzing it. And they also want us desperately to explain the stress connection to pain. The stress connection to pain is unreconciled emotional and social conflicts. We all have them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's normal. And how cool it is that your brain could decide to protect you and give you a psychosomatic pain experience anywhere in your body that you hold important because it's trying to divert you to go get help because you're struggling with the fact that you hate that coworker and you got to see him every day. Now, that, that's not a psychological problem. That's somebody who needs to learn how to deal with anger and realize that the anger is manifesting itself in symptoms in their body, and it's normal. And, and these are the things that we really got to help people, but that's what the pain literature has been trying to tell people. But those pain science people online, they messed it all up for us. They, they did. I, I you know, I, I was laughing because I just kind of recently got myself in Twitter with this world of hurt oh, thing. Oh, no, and, don't do it. Well, I, I, I go in and out of it. but in I absorb way, those arrows for everybody. That's my <laughs> job. That's good. But I just kind of said to myself, I said, you know what, Ann, you're never going to be in one camp. You're in everyone's camp because yeah. if, you can't, if you cannot acknowledge that sometimes nociception is the dominating pain mechanism. And sometimes it's essential thing. And sometimes, yep, you got to do a motor control functional approach. And sometimes, yep, you got to do a directional preference approach. If, if we can't accept that all of these situations are possibilities, and our job is to figure out which one this person in front of me is having right now, that, that whole thing with these camps, they're, they're killing me. You, you shouldn't be running, you know, somebody dominated by nociception, they shouldn't be getting cognitive functional therapy and a motivational interviewing approach. I'd be like, really? Give them a directional preference exercise, make them understand what the signal means and move on. Yep. But somebody who's dominated by a sensory motor problem, I mean, literally their brain's gone to the level of protection where it's neglecting itself and disembodiment. Hey, if you're going to be doing all these peripheral-based treatments and you're not going to start doing recognition training for that motor and sensory cortex, come on. Yeah, this, yeah. And, and, and um, 
sign up and, and living out your own camp and dying on the hill. That's what I call it. People exactly. Die on the hill for their, their particular camp. Um, it's not helping anybody. No, it's not. It's causing, I mean, it helps the people who causing, you just luckily happen to fall into your camp. But we, we know, I mean, my, one of my mentors, Stu McGill, he, yeah. he says all the time, you know, you can help people temporarily almost, I, I'll paraphrase them, almost any time you can help them temporarily, but 10 years down the road, did you actually help them? Exactly. Well, it's what I, I've loved. You know, I've, I've been in, in, in this hospital. I've, this, I just started my 35th year with them. And yes, to the audience out there, I did start working with them at age 11. Okay, so. Have you ever left the Midwest except, I mean, you know, St. (laughs) Louis? I did a couple times, but I came back, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, nothing for any length of time. Uh, No one would tolerate me but the Midwest, so that's why I ended up (laughs) back here. But one thing I did learn very early on is, one, I wanted to be people's physical therapist for life. I, I really wanted to be like a dentist you know, where, hey, hey, let me help you keep yourself out of healthcare and let me help you be like, you know, your musculoskeletal human body mechanic, you know, and, and why I, I took that on was because it was meaningful to me, first off, these relationships, but secondly, what a humbling experience it is, like Stu says, like, hey, is that one still doing well? A year after you, two yep. years after you, three years, four years, five years. You know, I got a practice where I've got patients, I've families, I've been to bar mitzvahs, communions, I and mean, graduations, I've got generations, and it's been incredible. And they come in one or two times a year for a checkup, and I've, you know, you got them through a really bad time in their life, and they come in and see you annually, and they're still doing great. I, I mean, it's just like, wow, they had, you can't get it any better than that. And that's where we got to get chiros and PTs and OTs to really kind of say, hey, this episodic, you know, encounter you're having, it's, the goal is not discharge. The goal is to move them to follow-up care, care and follow up. And follow up, yeah. Yeah. In a, in a, in a reason, the, you know, with a, with a purpose, follow up with a purpose. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you're not, yeah, you're not going there twice a week. I mean, I, I see a lot of these people once a year, you know, they yeah. come in and they, they, we recheck their routines, what they're doing, their There's goals. something to check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that vision, I think that's the comprehensive vision that we all need. And I think you're going to deliver it forward. It's, it's the, I think when you clarify the classification system in relation to pain for these folks, it's going to turn on a lot of light bulbs because these people are brilliant enough to draw their own algorithms after that. Okay. So we've got about essentially four or five different classification categories. Once I can fit somebody more or less, of course there's, there's lots of crossover, right? Totally. But, but once, you know, you fit people for five, you know, into one of these categories, then I know what, what paradigm to deliver to them. You well, know? here's what I always say to everyone. I go, and this is why the, the pain mechanism classification system, like we train with the world of hurt, will never be a certification, Bobby. And I don't use the word never often, but it won't. Mm-hmm. Because here's the reality. Everything that I'm going to say, everyone already knows. Yeah, but I'm going to organize it in a way that they hadn't thought about it before. And it's going to make them more succinct with the knowledge that they already have. 
It's just like organizing a grocery cart. That, that's what I say. So I tell people right out of the gates, one, you already know this. So, so don't worry about that. It's a verbiage issue, an alignment issue. Okay, so that we can come to a foundational level of understanding why when we say this, it makes sense why you would do it. Now, the second thing is this is so in line right now with what the International Association for the Study of Pain has recently come out and said, hey, we have to value pain mechanisms. And what I love teaching people about the pain mechanism classification system it's the clinical application of what the IASP has asked us to do. And they are so aligned with each other. And it's a deeper dive. So you have the ability now as a provider to really help that patient. Because, hey, when the patient comes in, let's be honest, the literature is pretty clear what they want. They want one. Tell me why I hurt. What's wrong with me? Why do I hurt? Two, hey, patient, what can I, as the patient, do about it? Give me the control. Third, what can you, little therapist, Cairo, doctor, nurse, whatever you are, what can you do to help me? And most important in the question we rarely get to, but probably one of the most important ones is, hey, how long is this going to take? Give me honest expectations about what's going to go on with me. And we have to be able to align the pain science literature with the explaining pain role, brain's role, explaining movement, safe pain, explaining stress, explaining gradual exposure. We got to align that literature with the patient because this is what they want to know. And that's why I've always really appreciated the mechanism approach because it pulls those two together with, this is what you got to do. And then we send them out with the Nike commercial. Just do it. Just do you it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go dance. Go dance. <laughs> Here's the script. Have fun with it. Let's practice. Here's all the education material. We know it's working. If you make it better, share it back, but let's go. Wait, where's my reps and sets? Where's my sheet? No. You, Mrs. Jones, you go dance. Yeah, you go dance. And you understand how safe it is because this is why. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important, but I, I'm, I'm looking, you know, extremely forward for this opportunity because uh, the, the chiropractic profession has really embraced this information and these courses so well that getting this opportunity at the forward thinking to, to do it on a grand stage is, is an opportunity of a lifetime. Well, we had about a hundred years of the, ex- <laughs> the explanation was that there's a bone out of place and you push on the bone and that, um, reignites a life force from the universe and then heals everything. And but, yeah. let's, but let's agree. If it wasn't for those guys who understood subluxation, that was the, yeah. pre- that was the precursor to Robin McKenzie's directional preference. Yeah. The, the osteopaths yeah. and the uh, chiropractors yeah. that would, would flesh that out. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they got it. And, and, and to this day, that is still the most prevalent nociceptive mechanism that we treat. The micro movement of, of, uh, of the directional tissue. Preference. Yeah, yeah. It needs to move mm-hmm. in a certain direction and that motion segment or that moving body segment needs to get to end range. And then at one, one point we got to the, to this level where we said, but that's not everything. It's not the whole answer. And then there was no answer. <laughs> well, 
So it's led to a lot of consternation, frustration, and searching. And I think we're getting closer to some answers for that other piece. Yeah, I, I mean, I really uh, look forward to kind of, like I said, just pulling that together. You know, I, I mean, it's not that far out there. Tell me about the World of Hurt course, though. Tell me what people go through uh, when they go to that course. Well, here's the, you know, the, the World of Hurt book was the third edition of a training manual that we used in our healthcare system to train PTOT, Cairo, and MD in this idea behind, you know, classification of pain mechanism. It's built off a Louis Giffords and David Butler's pain mechanism classification system that they came out. And it's great because, you know, before Louis passed away and, and David currently, he's, you know, they've been very involved in always editing the material and stuff for us and, and keeping us clean on it. But we were training it. So when the World of Hurt book came out and the hospital allowed it to be something larger than our internal training programs, it was clear at that point that you just can't throw a book out there and hope for the best that people will understand it. I mean, we, we trained six different courses associated with the book itself. Yeah. So, so the World of Hurt training courses are really deep diving. You know, the overview course is the one that I really like people to go to. It's where we cover every mechanism, you know, in two days, you know, as, as deep and brief as we can. But then with each other course, it's like a two day on nociception. It's two days on the nerve, two days in the brain. It's one day about foods and where this fits into pain mechanisms. It's two days on how we apply this material to the neurological patient who suffers pain and spasticity. So these are just deep dives of, you know, the general information. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty comprehensive training program, but again, nothing that people don't probably to some degree know, we are just really getting them finite, succinct, and efficiently and effective with the material as possible. Is there a place where they can find out about these courses, yeah. where, to, where to take them? They, they certainly can. The two, two places right now, they can definitely, um, through an email, uh, request and I can send them because we're right and we're like weeks away from opening up the website where they'll be able to actually access it on itself. But World of Hurt 2, all small case, World of Hurt 2 at gmail.com or the website will be conveniently called World of Hurt 2.com. The revenge. The revenge. The revenge and of the peripheral nervous know, system. You want to hear the funny story of why we're World of Hurt 2? <laughs> There's a World of Hurt 1 out there. <laughs> well, Woody Harrelson and his oh. wrestling team is called World of Hurt. That's kind of awesome, I guess. And so it is awesome. What, well, once I Googled that and I was like, well, now that's interesting. Now, Woody, you got a wrestling team, which I always kind of like to bring forth because I'm hoping after a two-day course with us, their thighs look just as big as Woody's. You know? <laughs> Your next but book's going to be White Men Can't Jump, too. Yeah, exactly, too. But, uh, and I always say, no, I kind of like it because World of Hurt 2 is about me and you, and that's what's going to take go. to get this done. So. I always thank Woody on that one. They're going to, uh, the, them out there who are listening to this are going to go to that website and check all that out. But then they're going to go, you know what? 
I'm going to get that and so much more at Forward 2019. You're, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, really, we're doing the overview course to like a hybrid level in the three hours that you have given me there. So I'm, I'm really excited. If, after that forward thinking, that's when then I want them to come to me and tell me if they really need training. Yeah, you're going to make a lot of friends. I yeah, know it. Oh, well, that's all right. I, I, you know, who, who can't need more friends, right? And you get to and, come you know, back to your college can, town. And they can follow. Exactly. I am looking forward to it. I got a few people that I'm already kind of reaching out to and saying, hey, we're reunioning. Um, but, you know, look, you can follow us on Twitter. You know, it's at World of Hurt 2. And, you know, join our bandwagon of being in everybody's camp, you know. Yeah, I'm going to start tagging you guys in all the pain science arguments that are out there. Yeah, do. I jump in every now and then. Craig Levinson, he'll send me things directly. You need to have, have a comment. I know, I know. I, I've been watching it. I'm going to have a comment. Hey, before we, let's close out on the, on the highest note. The most noblest of all things in the world, dogs. Oh. Where do canines in pain, where does this come into play? Um, can you well, classify pain for canines? You, you can. And I actually, you know, that's one of my favorite things is I, I thought I was going to make a lot of money on this, but I never didn't because when you try to treat dogs, you know, dogs in itself, canines, actually, actually in horses, I get myself involved in every now and then, but uh -huh. canines, um, you know, they have directional preference problems. I mean, that it's the most prevalent yeah. problem I see is a directional preference problem in the canine, whether it's in the neck, the back, the shoulder, the hip, um, they're very prevalent, very easy to treat. Once you treat, train the owners on what, what it is and how to do it, 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 it saves them thousands of dollars at the vet. Because if, if the vets love to run, you know, diagnostics, yeah. but even, mm -hmm. even, even though they get the same history every time that dog walks in, for no apparent reason, sudden onset of symptoms non-traumatically, if that's not a directional preference problem, I don't know what is, you know, if I had a buck for every canine that showed up with that, you'd make a fortune. But so they're very much got there. They very much need motor control, especially when they've had a ligament sprain. So your functional approaches that you use to load the extremities are no different. And then what I've come to learn, it's not the canine that suffers the central, but the canine manifests the owner who has possibly an underlying central. I have often given, when I've seen some, ca some canine patients and they come in and you can tell they're very fearful, I'll immediately give the yellow flag risk form to the owner and have them fill it out in the perception of their dog <laughs> suffering. And you see the same pattern and that person's very fear avoidant. They don't know what's movement safe pain within their canine. So you're sitting here over here really teaching the owner. And once the owner gets it, it's amazing how the canine manifests what the owner knows. And then the other part is canines very much embody our suffering. So when we're depressed, they're depressed. When we're anxious, they're anxious. So even in a yellow flag screen, you can see, ah, maybe they're not so fear avoidant, but they're definitely not doing well within the emotions that they feel. They think their dog's depressed. Well, I'll give you a buck they're depressed, you know, so you can kind of, so I haven't seen a true central mechanism in a canine, but I've seen a true central mechanism manifested within a canine of the owner. We actually know this, uh, on a, on a personal level, we were a hunting family, my, me and my dog jet, 
Uh, that's what we do as buddies. Uh, he's a black lab and uh, no, no, sorry in advance to all the non-hunters out there, but my dog gets my groceries for me. <laughs> um, and yeah, when you're training and we have to spend a lot of time together training and working together and we work as a team, um, it, the, the owner's affect and the owner's approach to the situation mean a lot. And, you know, say we are, we are hunting for ducks and we are, if I'm anxious, cause I feel like it's going to be a good day. He's anxious. And if I just kind of take a nap and relax in the duck blind, he's relaxed. Yep. Um, there have been times where he's come up limp and I've checked his paw. I've done a whole cursory examination of his, his leg and his shoulder and his elbow. And I see nothing, but gosh, darn it. If I don't sort of, glide and mobilize and move it around some passive mobility and he just he's good to go yep so i i mean i had a funny story with my current dog norm storm and norman i mean he um he had a a mild degree sprain and and it really was doing fine and then all of a sudden out of the blue he turns a corner for the worse and the whole thing was wrapped around my sister-in-law who lives in the same building as me she was really overly concerned that Norm was not ready to do all these things again. And, and Norm loves this woman, you know, because obviously mm-hmm. she takes care of him. So here, like she's saying, oh, Norm, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And she's chasing him through the day, a 70-year-old woman. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, you're embodying the fear avoidance. Hey, give him a doggy fear friend. avoidance behavior. Yeah, I went ahead to go to her and I'm like, look, he's doing fine. And I had to say to him, Norm. You're doing fine, honey. You know, it's like you have to have green light. Yeah. So they they do. They can they embody what's happening and they're very much especially the ones they love. If they don't love you, don't worry about it. But if you know, if they do uh, love you, that you gotta be on your game with them. I don't care if you didn't make a bunch of money off the dogs. I think you're rich from it anyways. Oh, I I am. No, there's you know, you're rich from all of this, Bobby. You know that. I know it. I know for a fact. It's God's work in action. Uh, you've lifted me up, my friend. You've given me even more fire. Uh, well, I'm glad you have with me too, and I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, know, we can pass that fire on to some other people too. In yeah. September, so I'll see you. You will. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for yours too, Bobby. This has been a pleasure. All right, everybody, that was our interview with Annie O'Connor, who will be at Forward 2019. Uh, She's going to give a didactic lecture portion, and then on the next day, she's going to workshop out some of these concepts in pain and pain classification. Uh, Let's not hold any more punches. This is the pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. So be sure to check out ipainzone.com and get your samples of pain zone. It's good stuff. I recommend it. Uh, if you want a code, a discount code, save some money for going to 2000, forward 2019. I know you're going to go. This, this, uh, this sort of like events thing is so funny for me because I, I, I'm new to it. Um, it takes a little bit of a different sort of learning of human behavior and psychology to put on an event. And there's this weird thing that goes on with people and these uh, continuing education events is, you know, you want to go, you know, you're going to go. But you guys don't buy your tickets till like the very, very end. Like 
as the clock is ticking. We even redid the early bird pricing, which was this really, really inexpensive pricing for uh, Forward 19. And after the clock expired on that, uh, we, the, the most sales we had on the sale were like five minutes after the clock expired and people just bought for the regular price. So it's like, you know, you're going to go, you're not going to lose a leg in the meantime. Um, your dog's not going to run away. You're going to the event. So get your tickets, uh, use the code and the code to get a discount for you. Podcast listeners is real DC talk. All one word, real DC talk. When you register for forward 2019 at forwardthinkingcairo.com. Uh, put in the code real DC talk and you'll save, I believe it's $25. Um, so that's it for our talk with Annie O'Connor. And we talked about pain and uh, one interesting thing that I had, you know, I'm, I'm really a big fan of this uh, yellow flag assessment form, this questionnaire, uh, as is Craig Liebenson, obvious, obviously, as he came up in the conversation uh, in the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance, we have a lot of people, on the Facebook group who put in uh, questions about practice and, and ideas, they might put up a case presentation and say, what do you think of this case? And there's one, I'm going to paraphrase the whole thing. So I don't have it in front of me, but basically a young doc was asking about a patient he was seeing and she had a lot of unusual symptoms and a lot of unusual findings. And uh, he was like, what do you guys think it is? Uh, but his caveat was, please don't tell me it's uh, some sort of, a psychosocial issue. Uh, I, I only want to know biological, biomechanical answers. I don't want to hear that it's psychosocial in order, in origin. You know, he basically paraphrased, I want to hear that crap. I just want to hear what you think it is. And uh, my response was, it, you have to consider the psychosocial, you have to. They're part of the biopsychosocial uh, sphere. You have to consider, you can't throw them out use this yellow flag uh, screening form and you might be surprised how she answers uh, the patient. And uh, that, that doctor had said, well, you know, I asked her a bunch of questions and she didn't tell me anything. So I don't know, I don't know why she wouldn't tell me sort of thing. And like, once again, I'm totally paraphrasing. So I don't, so I don't think there's anything there. Well, you know, we'll do the questionnaire. We'll see what we get. Uh, and if you've seen the yellow flag questionnaire, but if you don't, then you might know what I'm talking about here. But if you haven't seen it yet, uh, and Annie O'Connor will definitely go into depth about it at Forward 2019. It's like a percentage, you know, if if you, if they score a low percentage on the questionnaire, 20 percent or so, it's probably not even the biopsychosocial, the the psychosocial part of the BPS. It's probably not that important in in the patient's pain classification. But the higher the percentage on this questionnaire, the more you might want to consider it. And uh, this doc uh, commented back, like literally, not even an hour later, yeah, she scored an 85, 85%. So uh, we're there. Uh, the psychosocial aspects of that patient's pain have to be deeply considered. And that's why I say pain is not just a symptom. You may provide treatment to somebody and alleviate their symptoms temporarily, the symptoms of pain. But the pain generator, the thing that creates pain, the thing that magnifies the pain for the patient is still there and needs to be dealt with. And that's why pain is not just a symptom. And that's why we are not lowering ourselves by being people who specialize in musculoskeletal pain and are attempting to be the best at helping alleviate 
a thing that is at epidemic levels in our world, which is pain, back pain, musculoskeletal pain. So take pride in the fact that you treat pain uh, and be good at it. And that's uh, one of the things that this podcast and the FTCA is all about. So I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, Real DC Talk. Let's get to forward 2019 because uh, it's going to be a great time. Talk to you later. Bye.